Welcome to Plant Power, the power of plants in a changing climate. I'm your host, Emma Wilson, the Fred and Virginia Houck sustainability intern at the North Carolina Botanical Garden. I'm here to guide you on a six episode journey through native plant topics and their connection with our changing climate through interviews with some of North Carolina's finest naturalists. This isn't your typical podcast about climate change. Our goal and mission is to give resources to you to mitigate climate change impacts in your community. While we are here to inform, we won't be using scare tactics to spark concern. Learning about our climate crisis doesn't have to be all doom and gloom. Through education and attainable action, we can do our part in our changing climate. What is climate change? It's something we've all heard of, but definitions may vary based on perspective. Generally, Climate change is the shift in global or regional climate patterns. This global phenomenon impacts local areas differently, so it's good to understand how your home state is being inflicted by changing climate patterns. North Carolina is home to a diverse set of habitats and ecosystems. From the mountainous west to the coastal plains, regions and their respective biomes have evolved to their seasonal conditions and trends. Climate change presents different impacts to specific areas of North Carolina. Altering local habitats directly affects the flora and fauna living there, which can present further issues creating a ripple effect. Thankfully, there are organizations like the North Carolina Botanical Garden that have made it their mission to educate the community on mitigation efforts and sustainable relationships between humans and nature. What better way to begin our mini-series than by speaking with the garden director, Damon Waite, about the garden's programs that strive towards this mission. Welcome, Damon. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Emma. Thanks for doing this. Of course. Let's begin with a little bit about yourself and your relationship with the natural world. Well, Emma, I have a very complicated relationship with the natural world. Mm -hmm. Um, It's both ecological and technological, and I I trace that back to my youth when um, we lived in Panama. So I literally had the jungle in my backyard for a playground and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, grew up outdoors. playing in basically a tropical rainforest but then at the same time I've always been fascinated by gizmos and technology and I remember um, getting a subscription to popular science when I was a kid and I even ordered a, uh, a little kit to make a, a radio an AM radio that was solar powered and oh, wow. I thought you know reading popular science that the future with its you know oil-eating bacteria and solar houses and flying cars would be that technology was going to fix whatever parts of nature that, you know, became damaged or broken. Um, So I grew up sort of with that dual ecological technological personality. Today, in my adulthood, I'm I'm a little less convinced technology is going to be able to fix the Mm -hmm. ecological problems of the world. I would have to agree with you on that, actually. (laughs) It's an interesting statement. But um, what are some programs at the garden that can help mitigate the impacts of climate change? Well, there's a number of programs here. You know, core to this garden is um, our habitat collections. So we have um, collections of native plants representing the coastal plain, the sand hills, the Piedmont, and mountain regions of the state. So when you look at this garden, um, we're like a living laboratory to look at the effects of climate change on the native flora of North Carolina. Um, and so they're right here. We can witness the effects as they occur over time. 
And then at the same time, because we're a conservation garden, our emphasis on rare plant protection um, is a really important response to the changing climate. So we're out there collecting seeds of both common and uncommon and rare species, and we're preserving them in our seed bank and in um, various other kinds of projects as a really a bed hedging strategy against extinction in the wild. Cool. Well, Damon, those are great programs and initiatives that we have here on campus, but is there anything else that you can talk about that's maybe outside of the gates of the botanical garden? Oh, absolutely. So um, this garden stewards over 1,100 acres of natural areas and conservation easements and preserves in addition to the main botanic garden. So um, keeping those healthy, managing those ecosystems, um, you know, making sure that they have high plant biodiversity, which leads to higher insect biodiversity, bird biodiversity, etc., is um, also critical. And, and, you know, one of the probably most effective solutions to climate change is to get more land into conservation and out of um, before it goes into development. Mm -hmm. If you could go on and talk about how native species play a role in climate change. Right, so you know the wonderful thing about native species is they they come adapted to the situation that they're already in Mm -hmm. and so minor variations in climate, um, um, you know, that are not long-lasting or too sudden, they're usually pretty well adapted to that. Um, the, the exception to that are the, are the unique habitats, the rare species that have really stringent ecological or habitat requirements. They're, they're much more at risk from um, changes in climate. Yeah. Um, but, you know, uh, one other thing I'd like to add is you know, if I came to you and said, hey, Emma, I invented a machine, going back to the technology, um, that could take the, the main greenhouse gas out of the atmosphere, store it away where it was no longer a problem, sequester it, if mm-hmm. you will, and that machine ran on sunlight, a never-ending source of energy, and water, the most abundant chemical on Earth, and oh by the way it produced oxygen that all living things need to survive you'd be like here's a you know a hundred billion dollars go build that machine but the you know the funny thing is that machine's been around for hundreds of millions of years it's called a plant and the process is called photosynthesis Mm -hmm. so we have the solution staring right in you know staring us in the face Damon, I think that's really interesting point about technology, and I also can see how people have become so enthused with technology that they can't even see something so simple and natural in front of them that's doing this amazing process. Can you um, can you speak a little bit more to that? Oh, sure. So, in fact, botanists coined a, a term for that. They call it plant blindness, or the inability to see or notice the plants in one's own environment, and and that leads to the inability to recognize the importance of plants in the environment, not just um, for human life and you know the food we eat, the materials we use, the oxygen we breathe, but um, also their integral role in the biosphere fixing carbon uh, dioxide, which is a greenhouse gas. And um, there's a lot of reasons for plant blindness. Uh, we're we're mammals. We're animals. We have eyes, so we 
you know, we tend to associate with other animals. I mean, you know, old MacDonald had a farm with a cow that went moo and a horse that went neigh, but I'm sure old MacDonald also had corn and uh, wheat, and they didn't make any noises, right? So we don't associate with plants the way we do with other animals. In fact, probably the only thing old MacDonald grew was potatoes, and we eventually put little plastic ears and noses on those to make Mr. Potato Head, but even that doesn't quite make that connection between plants and humans, it's, um, it's too bad because I really do think that um, greater awareness of the plants in our environment would lead to greater awareness of or an understanding of issues like climate change. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting um, anecdote actually. There's a word for when humans assign human characteristics to non-human things. And I think it's anthropomorphic or something yes I think that's interesting yeah, that's totally interesting and yeah that's that's the um, that's the word and then of course we're also anthropocentric yes <laughs> we ourselves Very. first and we're um, also zoo chauvinistic mm-hmm. we, we tend to prefer the uh, animals over everything else so Damon you've spoken to some programs at the garden but are there any that directly target um, plant blindness I'd say everything we do here targets plant blindness uh, because we are a botanic garden. But this year, because it's 2020, um, you know, we're playing off that 2020 vision and a lot of our programming uh, during this year of the wildflowers about curing plant blindness. And I say this is the pharmacy where you can get your prescription filled for nature deficit disorder and plant blindness. We have ophthalmologists standing by to educate you about plants so that you don't see them just as this green backdrop to your life. Incredible. And we've spent a lot of this episode and this interview speaking to what we do here at the North Carolina Botanical Garden, but do you have any tips or tricks that you can give to some of our listeners at home of what they can do to create an impact? Mm, There's there's so many things people can do at home. Um, You know, there's really the the standard litany list from using LEDs to the most efficient, you know, transportation modes. You can think of um, not wasting food. All all of those things contribute, but I think, uh, in my mind, the real thing people can do is sort of shift their thinking about humans being part of the world or having dominion over all living things and being excluded from the laws of nature to starting to think about yourself and this is like a climate change shift in our thinking as thinking as i'm part of the natural world um, all the ecological laws that apply to the rest of the natural world apply to me because i'm a living thing and trying to live that way Mm -hmm. Um, not sure if that makes any sense but it's just kind of a a change in our thinking of we're here and there's these unlimited resources and our job is a way to figure out how to use them all up in our lifetime to we're part of this natural world and we need to um, save it we need to preserve it and we need to have a very light footprint on it awesome so would you say that step one really is shifting your mindset to become a part we're not we are a part of this ecosystem. We're not on the outside. Absolutely. Shifting our mindset <clears throat> from technological, that we have dominion over this world, to ecological, we're a part of it. 
Awesome. Well, Damon, thank you so much for all the great tips and information, and I hope you have a good day. Thanks for joining us. Well, thanks, Emma. Really enjoyed it. Thank you for tuning in to the first episode of Plant Power. Damon Waite gave great information on some topics that we will discuss in future episodes, like seed collection, nature is healing, and land conservation. If you are interested in learning more, continue listening with us over the next few weeks and check out our website for more resources at ncbg.unc.edu slash plantpower. Next time, we will meet two more North Carolina Botanical Gardens staff to explore invasive and non-native plants and how not all green things are good. If you liked this episode, share it with a friend and help us get the word out about our new series. Until next time. Dr. Damon Waite is the director of the North Carolina Botanical Garden. This podcast is made possible by the North Carolina Botanical Garden. This episode was produced by Jana Starr with music brought to you by Terry Buckland. Special thanks to Jennifer Peterson, Johnny Randall, Angelica Edwards, and Courtney Starr. I'm Emma Wilson, and this is Plant Power.